0: Good morning, Boker Tov. A Mitzvah should be a good morning. We should hear Besoros Tovos Yeshuas Vinachamas. Please raise your hand if you are a member of Boker Aton Synagogue. That means if you did not raise your hand, you're not a member of Boker Aton Synagogue. And yet you're here, and we're so excited to have you here. I'm excited you're here for the Pasha Sheir most weeks. I'm excited you come for 10 minutes of Meaning Living with Amuna. Sitter Snippets, Turn Friday into Erev Shabbos, read our articles, join our efforts to support Israel. We're so glad you're part of our BRS family and we hope that you're glad too, and we hope that you show some appreciation. So yes, this is that time of year we are running our BRS Global campaign. Helping you help us. Helping you show the appreciation for the value that you get by partnering with us to be able to do more. So please, take a moment. On your seat, you have a QR code. You can go on brsonline.org global, brsonline.org slash global. If you're a member, you're doing your part, thank you. If you're not a member, Please contribute. And this year we created an incentive, not that you needed one other than Beisek hakara satov but we created an incentive to help us continue to promote and share and teach and inspire. And that is on April 7th, we are hosting Yishai Ribo for a concert here at BRS. And if you give $180 or more to our global campaign, you are in a raffle to get two domestic flights so that if you're listening or watching from elsewhere, we want to fly you in. Spend Shabbos here at BRS with us, we'll host you come to the Yishai concert, two VIP tickets, including a private reception with him. And to be entered into that raffle, all you have to do is give 180 to the BRS Global Campaign. And if you give 360, you get three tickets, and 500, you get five tickets. So increase your chances of winning. And if you're sitting in front of me right now, you say, what am I gonna do with two domestic tickets? Well, first of all, you could fly your grandchildren in. They could come to the concert with you, spend Shabbos with you, so anyway. I hope to not have to do this a lot over the two weeks. Hopefully we'll hit our goal today, just during the Parsha class, and you won't have to hear this again. So brsonline.org global, please do your part. None of it goes to my pocket, our pocket. It's all helping us teach Torah, share Torah, inspire Torah, stand with Israel, advocate and fight for Israel, all the things that BRS does. I wanna thank our generous sponsors, Parsha series sponsors, Becky and Avi and family. For sponsoring the series in memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Leila David ben Menachem, Manish. This morning is also sponsored by Sarah Margulies in memory of her husband, Yisrael Chaim. Israel Margulies, our dear friend, whose Eurotight is today, we miss him. He meant a lot. He loved to learn. By the man family, in honor of the dear daughter, Denise Mann's wedding to Saul ben Dayan, Mazel tov on that wonderful Simcha. Please stay afterwards. We're going to complete all of Sefer Tehillim as we always do. Pashas Tzavah, page 464 of Yatat Tzavas ben Israel. We've pivoted now in Sefer Shmos. We've turned from the storyline, the narrative of the Exodus, going from a family in Sefer Breshus to the birth of a nation in the book of Shmos. And now a nation has a religious center a religious capital, a religious home, and that is the Mishkan. So last week we learned about, read about, we heard about the continuity of the Harsina experience with the building of a Mishkan, so that a Kaddish Baruch could be our Shachin, the Shechina, he could dwell among us, we could feel his presence, we could have access to him, we could have that continued, ongoing experience of revelation. We learned about the Mishkan and the Kalem, all the vessels that were in it, and now Pasha's Tetzava, we move over to a focus and an emphasis not on Moshe, but on... Aaron and the role of the Kohanim, the role of the priests, the role of the Kohanim, the Bigodim, the Big Kuna, the clothing of the Kohanim, and so on. So, Viatatzav es ben Yisrael, you, who's you, a pronoun, who's the you, Moshe, and you, command ben Yisrael, Lach Hashem z'ach, Kasis take clear olive oil crushed for illumination to kindle a lamp continually. And where are you doing this? Where are you doing this? And so on and so forth. Now we know that whose name is not mentioned in the Parsha? Moshe's name is not mentioned in the Parsha. Famously, the Balaturim, Rav Yaakov ben Asher, the Rosh's son, the Balaturim, famously explains that when Moshe pleads with Hashem to forgive the people for the horrific mistake, next week we'll read in Kisisa of the Chayta Egel, the golden calf, he misleads or, or Moshe Rabbeinu pleads to forgive the people. So he says, Forgive them. Kaviyoch al-Chazal described, he like grabbed Hashem by the lapels. Threatened him. Hashem, forgive them. Be flexible. Let it go. Atone. Let him move on. And if not, I want nothing to do with this. Even though this has been my life work, even though I sacrificed everything, including to a degree my family for it, says Moshe, erase me from your book that you have written. And Hashem takes Moshe up on the offer. Indeed, and he says, "No problem. Your name will be erased, not from the whole book, but from the next parsha." Famous inside of the Balaturim. Why Parshas Tetzave does not have Hashem's name? Why specifically this parsha? Moshe's name. Good. I was checking whether you're listening. <laughs> now that you're listening, take out your phone and go on brsonline.org/global, and make sure to do your part. Why this parsha? If it's next week's pasha Kisisa, it's the Chaita Egel. we have several parashios left in Shmos, Vayikra, Bamidbar, Dvarim. Of all the parashios to eliminate or omit Moshe's name from, why specifically this pasha? If Shomi Vilna answers, Moshe said, Asher kasafta, erase me from your book that you wrote. Past tense. Therefore, his name was omitted in parasha Tetzaveh that comes before Kisisa, which is when he's going to need forgiveness. So. We went backwards to eliminate Moshe's name from a parsha. Asher kasavta that you wrote in past tense. That's why specifically it's a past parsha. Rav Avadya Zatzar, Rav says, says, which we should read as mechenina mesefer chaf, erase me from the twentieth sefer, the twentieth parsha. What's the twentieth parsha in the Torah? Excellent, Tetzavah. Therefore, The 20th parsha is Tetzava. That's why. The Lubavitcher gives another interpretation. We've shared it. We won't repeat it. It's a beautiful insight of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Why Davka? It is this parsha. But I want to share with you this morning an interpretation of the Holy Rav Tzaddik Cohen. The Heliger Rav Tzaddik of Lublin. In his younger years, Rav Tzaddik was an opponent of Hasidus. He didn't buy into the movement. He wasn't a disciple or student of Hasidus, but he was exposed to the Ishbitzer Rebbe, and he would turn this child prodigy into a Hasidish Rebbe. Ritzalik became not only a great disciple and student of Hasidus, he became a great master and teacher of it all. He was converted, so to say, by the Heliga Ishbitzer, by the Ishbitzer Rebbe. And he says the following, and this is brought down in my friend, Rabbi Aaron Goldscheider's new book, Torah United, where he quotes on each parsha in insight from Rav Cook, Rav Soloveitchik and Hasidic Masters. And this is from the section on the Hasidic Masters of this week's parsha. It's a wonderful new book. I highly recommend it. The Gemara interprets the Pesach to mean that David HaMelech, in the middle of a battle, was faced with a complicated halachic question, and he did not know the answer. Three soldiers risked their lives, says the Gemara, to bring the question to the Chachamim and to return with an answer. And although David HaMelech accepted the answer, He wouldn't credit any of them by name. These soldiers were the one who came up with the answer when David and couldn't, and yet David fails to credit them by name. Why? Based on a principle, based on a principle. And the principle is we do not attribute a halachic statement to the one who's (laughs) Moser Atzmo al-Divrei Torah. Somebody who risks their life for a Divrei Torah, Moser Atzmo al-Divrei Torah, we do not credit them. And that sounds sort of bizarre. I would have thought exactly the opposite. It's counterintuitive one risks their life for Divrei Torah, they merit, their name should be in lights. Their name should be in enormous font hanging on the wall. They should get tremendous credit. Why do they get no credit? Says Reb Tzedakah Kohen, says Reb Tzedakah Kohen, that David HaMelech did not intend this as a condemnation of the courageous soldiers who in fact had the answer. David HaMelech offered this as a praise. What's the praise? Their names are not attached to the halachic statement, to this halachic ruling, Because through their total sacrifice, they became part of Torah itself. You see, the moment you need or want or have your name prominent, promoted, stand out, is the moment that you exist independent, separate, apart from Hashem and His Torah, is the moment that there's an I. But the moment that a person is willing to practice Bittl, to nullify, to be absorbed and integrated into Hashem and into His Torah, is the ultimate sense of devotion. It's the ultimate... Surrender. It's the ultimate losing any ego or sense of self because the mission, the cause, is the highest and the greatest. L'Havdel, Jim Collins, in his book, which was famous when it came out, Good to Great, where he studied all these companies and he tracked them, what makes a company go from good to great, and he talks about five levels of leadership. And for Jim Collins, level five leadership, by the way, you have to buy at least five raffle tickets if your phone goes off in the past (laughs) year. At least five. Whether you're a member or non-member, you're in for at least five. What's level five leadership, says Jim Collins? Level five leadership is when the cause or the mission or the company is ahead of yourself. Is ahead of yourself. It's not about your name, your ego. The level five leader plans succession. Who's going to take over after them? Because it's not about they were indispensable to the company or the cause. It's about the mission. The mission is greater than the individual self. That's the highest level he describes, the, the level, level five leadership. I once gave a drasha, and Moshe Rabbeinu was a level five leader. All the different five levels, Moshe Rabbeinu captured all of them. And this is the perfect example of that for Rav Tzaddik. Rav Tzaddik explains that Gemara, And this is similar to what the Babach Rebbe's explanation is. But if Tzaddik explains that Gemara, it's not that David HaMalach is criticizing. It's not that he's denying those students the opportunity to have their name when they, in fact, knew the answer. The reward was to not use their name. They were Moser Atzmo, Divrei Torah, Moser Atzmo. Atzmo means their self. They surrendered their sense of self. It wasn't about them. It was about the mission. It was about the cause. It was about accomplishing something. If it's all they claimed in the same spirit, you can understand why Moshe's name is missing from the Pasha. A name represents the essence of a person. So Moshe proposed a full negation of himself to save his people. Mesiris Nefesh is a willingness to forfeit his place among the people because his name becomes synonymous, enveloped in the Torah itself. He becomes an inseparable link in the giving of the Torah. Beautiful part about this sefer is it has a beautiful essay, and then it quotes the actual makkor. So here he has Ratzadik. It's in Preet tzadik parsha that Oz Dawad. and he writes quotes the Balaturim based on the Gemara Baba Kama Samachalav Lo David LeShosam quotes this Gemara Yesh Lavin Lama Yenas Moser Atzma Lamos. Somebody moser Atzma, willing to die to transmit Torah accurately. Why is their name not used? And when and he answers. And therefore, since he was Moshe Nefesh, Nefesh and therefore his name is omitted because it became entirely intertwined. Rav Tzadik then goes on, we don't have the time, so I won't read it to you inside, but Rav Tzaddik then goes on to suggest a beautiful symbolic link between the absence of Moshe's name in the parsha and the opening of the parsha. What's the first mitzvah of the beginning of the parsha? We do not begin to with the big day kahuna. We don't dive in and start with the different clothing of the kahuna. What do we start with? Shem and Zayazach, we start with the obligation of pure olive oil. The menorah had to be lit with pure olive oil, the best quality oil that provides a stable flame and has no contaminants. And in the service of his brothers and Hashem, Moshe exhibited the same clarity and the same purity. Says Rav Tzadok, the parsha begins, V'yata. Who's V'yata? Moshe. Why don't we use his name? because it is the ultimate statement of Moshe that he's Moser Atmo. He surrenders a sense of self. He's the ultimate level five leader. It's not about his name. It's about his mission. It's about the cause. It's about, it's about the, the purpose. And that is like the Shem and Zayizach. To be, for us to be the pure olive oil that brings the light into this world is for it to not be about us. To not be about us. It's a very complicated thing. I'll share with you. I'll confess to you. I struggle with this enormously enormously, because if you wanna have an impact in the world, in life, then to a degree, you're trying to promote and share, promote that there's a shir. everybody come here the shir. promote there's an opportunity online to listen, to read, to learn. So how do you find that balance? I've spoken to many Gedolah Yisrael, who've published Svarim, who have teams of people promoting their shiurim, and putting out a newsletter of their divrei Torah, and inviting people to their tish and the fabrengen, and their, it's a f- tremendous balance between how do you make it about the cause and the mission and being and hashem It's all about Hashem, that's the mission, that's the purpose, that's the cause. Not about me, the ego, the I, the name, the brand. How do we make Hashem the brand and not us? And yet, take advantage of all the tools at our disposal to be able to share and promote and hopefully inspire ourselves and as many people as possible in the ideal world. And that's what the Parsha is telling us. By the way, we go back in next week's Parsha to using Moshe's name again. Moshe's name is not erased or omitted from the rest of the Torah Akadosha. Moshe's name is used over and over and over again, and he is in perpetuity Moshe Rabbeinu. And he surrenders himself, but we have one of the Yidgemel Ikarim, one of the 13 principles of faith, is to believe that Moshe is categorically different than all other human beings. Moshe is the Av Moshe is categorically different, greater than everybody else. He's the Av he didn't do a great job at surrendering himself. He didn't do a great job at erasing himself. He tried. We didn't let him. He did a great job. We did a great job of not letting him. Why? Because it's also important to have a rabenu, to have a Moshe, to have a paradigm, to have a model of a leader. So that's this balance that's taking place between even when we're promoting and sharing and teaching, nevertheless, it's all Hashem is the brand. Hashem is the message. Hashem is the mission. It's not about anybody's name or honor or influence or followers or friends or monetization. It's all the brand is Hashem. And that's the balance that's going on. So Moshe Rabbeinu says Rav Tzadok, to be Shemen Zach, to be the purest olive oil. What's the oil being used for here? Not salad dressing. Not to dip your bruschetta. is that what it's called, a little toasted bread? Not to to sprinkle on your bruschetta. What's the olive oil being used for? Not to smear on your your skin, although also anointing the, the priest. What's it being used for here? To light the menorah. What's the purpose of lighting the menorah? To illuminate and dispel the darkness of the world, to transform the world with light. How can you be the brightest source of light, the purest source of light? How can we be the peril, the metaphor, the equivalent of the Shem and Zayizach, how can we be that non-contaminated, pure oil that holds a steady flame of spreading the message, the mission, the brand of Hashem, like Moshe Rabbeinu, by being Moser Atzmah. It's not about us. It's not about us. Not about us. I won't tell you the story that a seasoned rabbi once told me about how when he was a young rabbi, I guess I will tell you the story. When he was a young rabbi, and someone had helped him work on the shul dinner. This woman had put in countless time, and she said to him over and over again, whatever you do, Rabbi, at the dinner, don't acknowledge me, don't say my name, don't thank me, whatever you do, please don't. Just leave me out. So a foolish, naive new rabbi, he didn't mention her. <laughs> Afterwards he heard, oh, how upset, how insulted, how furious, how pained, how hurt. And so he turned, he was talking to a group of young rabbis. I, I was among them, I'm still a young rabbi, I was even younger then, and he said he learned from then, that you have to understand there's a rabbinic vocabulary. When someone says, whatever you do, please don't acknowledge me, it loosely translates to, whatever you do, please don't forget to acknowledge me. (laughs) And he taught that to us. Now, it doesn't mean that people don't deserve to be thanked and acknowledged. They deserve that. People deserve that period, hard stop. They deserve that because also it encourages more people to get involved and to do, and for that person to do further. Hakaris HaTov is a basic Torah attribute. Of course we have to. But for all of us, we should remember why we're doing what we do. And it's not about the name. And if Moshe could be viata, we could be the viatah. It was about the chesed or the tzedakah. It was about the food we cooked or the corporal, or the committee we sat on, or what we helped set up or what we did differently or how we contributed. And of course, hakaras of gratitude, should be shown. But if it isn't, we should remember, like Moshe, this sort of tzedakah, we have the opportunity, we should be grateful. They let us be a and Zayah Zach. If in fact our name was not promoted or pronounced, if our name was not shared or celebrated, maybe it was a failure of Akar Satov, but it was a gift of letting us be the shemen zayizach, the Atta that Moshe merited. That Moshe merited to begin. It's not a coincidence. The Grodovil, the Gon points out, as does the morenaim of Menachem Nachum of Chernobyl. They both point out. We always read Pashas titzave either right before or right after zayin adar. What's zayin adar? Moshe Rabbeinu's Yeruzeit, his birthday and his Yeruzeit, the day the Heber Kadisha marks and celebrates. This year is two Adars. which Adar? Both Adars, one Adar. But Zion Adars Moshe Rabbeinu's birthday and Yeruzeit. And his absence from Pashas Tetzaveh, which is always either right after or right before is commensurate, fits totally uh, with, with Moshe's entire life. His Yeruzeit, with the reading of Tetzaveh, is that his most outstanding quality is that he was Moser Atzmo, He gave up on an atzmo. He gave up on a sense of atzmo in the greatest sense, because to a degree, he paid the highest price. That leadership role that he played and the mission that he served cost him aspects of his marriage, cost him the legacy of the mantle of passing it on to his children. He was most there not only atzmo, but the greatest sense of atzmo, which is our family and our continuity, in a certain way, that Moshe paid that incredible, incredible high, that incredible high price. So it's a beautiful tzaddik. It's worth reading it inside, which we don't have time for today, but uh, to look at the rest of it inside. Okay, moving right along. The Zera Kodesh, the Rabshitz, is quoted by the Amaros Taharos by the Rachmash Rivka, and he says the following: The Ben you command B'nai Israel, he brings the Zohar HaKadosh, that's where the Balaturim got it from, the Zara Kadosh erase me from your book. So Nizkayim Diburo, we fulfilled his request a little bit, his name is not included. And why did he do this? Let's not forget, it wasn't just that he was the chairperson of the dinner and he wasn't thanked and he didn't mind because it wasn't about him. What was the reason that he was doing this? Why was he Moser, the atzmo? Why did Moshe Rabbeinu threaten, grab Hashem, if not, erase me? What was he fighting for, advocating for? The forgiveness of Calah Yisrael. He saved the Jewish people. Hashem was ready to wipe us out. Another hard reset on the world. Hashem had had it with us. And Moshe Rabbeinu steps in, steps up, on our behalf, and he's Moser Nefesh L'tovas Yisrael. Be your Moshe Kol Rabbeinu's was so complete, was so whole, that it included, it subsumed within it, all of Nishma Yisrael, all of the combination of the souls that were destined to exist. You know, if you think about for one moment, one, one egg or one seed of the man and the potential that it has in them, because take one woman's egg. One egg of one woman has within it her daughter, whose daughter, whose daughter, whose daughter. Think about the potential of the future and how many. So, One woman could give birth to 600,000. That's a tough pregnancy, a tough labor. There's no epidural in the world that's going to help you for a birth of 600,000. But it doesn't mean you're giving birth to 600,000. It means trace back your ancestry and calculate how one person who gave birth to one, and now when you compound it based on the amount of children and the generations to come. So that was Moshe Rabbeinu. If you go back to that original egg, the original seed, what it contained within it was everyone and everything that would come after, and that's Moshe's neshama. Moshe did not live life like he was some individual on his own. Rather, he had a consciousness, a mindfulness always that he represented mm-hmm. the totality of the Nishamas that would come afterwards. Zewa inin Masar Nafsho Al-Yisrael. He was Moser, his independent identity, Al-Yisrael, <speaking> in <Hebrew> for the greater identity of Kla Israel. <speaking in Hebrew> and now we can understand why was Moshe's name not mentioned. Viata <speaking in Hebrew> The word titzavet sivoy means Milashon. Chibur, atzivui, tzaveh, tzav, is a connection. The mitzvot are the way that we connect to Hashem. She techaber atzmacha s perish im bnei yisrael viata you titzaveh make a chibur s with bnei Israel. She teyakol abahem be with them. Alken lo niskar shmo His name is not included. His name is not included. There are two ways that we can live in this world. We can live in this world that it's all about me and I. And my ego, my need, my want, my happiness, my joy, it's about me. By the way, when volunteering for you makes me feel good, then I'm willing to do it. But really, all in the end of the day, it's about me. Or a person can say it's really all about you. There's a mission, there's a purpose, there's a cause, there's a people. That's what I'm all about. And if it means risking or erasing the me, my interest, my need, my want, my happiness, my life, I'm willing to do it. This Dvar Torah is relevant, and important, and meaningful anytime. It's particularly relevant right now, when there are soldiers who are fulfilling Viata titzaveh. Every soldier has a name. We are not a people that just assign a number. But in the army, to a degree, you're a number. The dog tag has a number, not a name, because you're a soldier fighting a fight, serving a unit, winning a war. And the soldiers, the incredible soldiers, the awesome soldiers, the heroic soldiers, are Viata, they are sacrificing and surrendering their name, their identity, their want, their need, particularly reservists saying goodbye to their spouse, to their children, and putting their life on the line, and some paying with the ultimate price. Why? Moser nafsham al Yisrael. The ultimate Mesiris Nefesh. They're literally surrendering and forfeiting their life, al Yisrael, im Yisrael, for the Jewish people, for this bigger picture. And I think they obligate us to ask ourselves, how are we? We don't have a gun. We're not on a front line. We are not sacrificing in the same way. But this is a time of Messias Nefesh for everybody to figure out what we are doing and how we are influencing our condition in the world to make it, to make it better. That is the beautiful Rapshitzur on viata Atatitzavet. of Druk to his Lavosesh. We've been going through his brand new Safer that came out, Lavosesh. He quotes the following. The Gemara Menachos tells us in this Israel, We're going to get past the first possek. Here, the first commandment to the Kohanim is, we didn't even get to the big day kuhuna is squeeze the olives and extract from them a pure olive oil to be able to illuminate the menorah, tamid, consistently, continually, ongoing. We're in the Omoid and so on. So the Gemara Menachos wonders, why are Kla Yisrael, Why are the Jewish people? Why are we likened to an olive Lomar lacha? And the answer to the Gemara Menachos says is to tell us loma lacha maza el Ksisa. How do you get the olive oil out of the olive? Say please, Mr. Olive, would you mind dripping your oil? No, that will not work. What do you have to do? Squeeze it. You have to more than squeeze, xisa. It. it gets crushed. It's not called an olive squeeze, it's an olive crush. It gets crushed. The Jewish people, the best of us, only comes out when we are squeezed. When we are squeezed, when we are stepped on, what comes out is better than what it was before. There are two substances like that, olives and grapes. Not coincidentally, both or at one point had their own, had their own bracha, but have their own status, a separate status, right? What comes out of an olive is not called olive juice. What you squeeze out of the apple is called apple juice. What you squeeze out of the orange is orange juice. What you squeeze out of the grapefruit is grapefruit juice. Mango is mango juice, vechule. And yet, what you squeeze out of the olive is oil. And what you squeeze out of the grape is wine. Because what comes out is better. Than what it was. Jewish people are likened to a olive. But we're also likened to a geffen and to ena. We're also like a grape and like a fig. The Psukim in Tehillim, and Hosea, and Shirashirim, we're like Tamar, we're like a date, we're like an egos, we're like all these other fruit and nuts as well. Rimonim, we're like a pomegranate, so why specifically here like an olive? So says Rav Druk, Bo there's a whole process, from when we grow the olive, till we pick the olive, till we crush the olive, till we filter the olive. The olive is thrown from, strewn from place to place until you have the oil. So, to the Jewish people, we're thrown and we're strewn from place to place. So, we're thrown from place to place and we're gathered and we're smushed and we're crushed and we're stepped on, and only then what comes out. Similarly, the Kalay Yisrael are thrown around, and what comes out is tshuva, we're improved and we're better. And there's another Mashal of how we come out. The other mushal, why are we compared to an olive? All other mixtures. If you mix apple juice with water, what do you have? Diluted apple juice. If you mix every other liquid with water, what do you have? The diluted version of that liquid. When you mix olive oil with water, what do you have? It separates. Which one floats to the top? The oil floats to the top. Kach Yisrael, mis'arven de Similarly, the Jewish people don't mix with those around us. They don't mix with those around us. We have a prohibition of intermarriage. We have a mission, we have a purpose, not because, by the way, we're superior or better. We're not some biased, racist people who look down on others. You know why we don't mix? Because we have a responsibility. We're the honor society. We're maintaining a certain grade, and we have to model certain behavior to the world. And by the way, the evidence... We don't think we're superior or better inherently or intrinsically than anyone else is. If you're willing to make the grade and maintain the behavior, you're more than welcome to join the Honor Society. By the way, people want to kill the Honor Society, so if you want to join, just know that you have that target on your back. The world is increasingly hating on the Honor Society and are systematically trying to eliminate the Honor Society and practice total corrupt justice against the Honor Society. Oh, you still want to join? You still think that we think we're better than anyone else? Such a wonderful club to be part of that we've been exterminated and exiled and and uh, all through our history? We don't think we're better. We're more obligated to live and model a certain life. And if you want to join, we have a beautiful process called conversion. You're more than welcome. You can't join by name only. You're going to have to make the grade. You're going to have to maintain the behavior. If you're willing to adopt the lifestyle, you're more than welcome to join, but no with it. And you know, for many years now, I've been involved in conversions, and we ask both in the process, and again, when the candidate's standing in the mikvah, among the many questions we ask is, are you aware that there's something called anti-Semitism and there are people who don't like Jews. And now you will emerge a full member of the Jewish people and you too will be the target of it. And for, for 20 years I've been doing this, like we just went through the, yeah, and you too, and okay, fine, and I'll come out like, ah, I'm Boca Raton, it's going to be so hard in Manhattan. Uh, yeah, no problem. Now we say, are you aware? Are you aware you are endangering your life with this decision? You could walk around a non-Jew, be a noachite, keep the sheva been a noach. Nobody's ever climbed out of the mikvah and said, you know what, you're right, I'm out of here. I have to have that happen. <laughs> By the time we get there, we're pretty sure, we pretty confident we know what people are going to answer. It's extraordinary. So the Medrash tells us why we liken to the olive, because when you crush us, what comes out will never mix with you. It doesn't mix. It's separate and it's apart. Not because we're superior or better, Not because we're the chosen people, but we are the choosing people. Our ancestors chose Hashem and He chose us to model for the world through Torah and Mitzvahs, the way we're meant to live. You could shake up that salad dressing. Shake up that Italian dressing before you put it on your salad, because if you don't, if you don't, olive oil will be on top, all the other ingredients beneath it, they're not going to mix and the oil will rise to the top. (laughs) When we fulfill Hashem's word, we rise to the top. (coughs) So, which is it? Is the image of the medrash, that we're crushed, we're thrown and strewn from place to place, we're crushed and we're squeezed, and what comes out is better, so we're strewn and thrown from place to place, and when we do tshuva, when we're crushed, what comes out, we're more righteous, or that we're separate and apart, and we rise to the top. Which one? So it says Rav Druk, he believes the answer is both. They go together. How do they go together? They go together as when we understand that we're separate and apart, we don't need to be crushed and strewn and thrown to place to place. And when we forget, we assimilate, we integrate, we totally abandon what makes us special and different and apart, we're thrown from place to place and we remember who we are and that we rise to the top. That's what we're seeing happen right now even among, although not enough, and I think we all have a lot of work to do, but among those who are unaffiliated, our holy brothers and sisters, our precious brothers and sisters, who don't have the privilege of the education and the background of the example that many of us do, who have forgotten what it means to be a Jew in Jewish practice and Jewish observance and Jewish principles and Jewish life. And in fact, they replaced their Judaism with other isms and called it Judaism. So they thought that environmentalism or social justice, or feminism, or liberalism, or progressivism was their Judaism, and October 7th happened. And the movements that they had replaced Judaism with abandoned them, stabbed us in the back. And now there's a crisis, an identity crisis. Well then, who am I? And there's a spiritual awakening, and we need to encourage it, and we need to educate it, and we need to support it, and we need to love it with no judgment or triumphalism or superiority and say, that's fantastic you're looking into what your Judaism is. Turns out it wasn't those other things, the people you marched with, who then sided with Hamas, the movements that you supported, who then walked away when it was Jewish women being raped. Well, then what is our Judaism? Who are we, what are we made of? Who is it? There's a huge gap waiting to be filled with a new definition of what one's Judaism is. And by the way, I'm concerned for all the people wearing the dog tags, Yechevad's wearing around her neck. It's beautiful. They're available. You can get in the shul office as well. Incredible. We advocate. It's on our minds constantly. But what happens in Hashem today when all the hostages will be brought home and people will take that from around their neck? Will they put instead a mugging David? What will we wear? Our Judaism also can't just be right now hostages and victimhood and martyrdom and death and sadness and fighting. That's also not Judaism. We know that from all the studies of the younger generation for whom the Holocaust was not what they wanted to be their Jewish identity. They're not interested, that can't just be who we are. So there's a huge appetite right now. Some know it and some don't even realize how hungry and, or starving and malnourished they are to, to redefine their Judaism and for us to redefine our Judaism. Who are we and what is it and why is it important? Why don't we hand the keys to Hamas and move to Uganda? Why don't we hand the keys to Hamas and come assimilate into America, welcoming us with open arms? Why is the Jewish story important? Why is Israel important? Why is Torah important? Why do we have to do all this? And when we remember and when we live this way, then Hashem doesn't have to throw us around and crush us and squeeze us to bring us out of us. Right now there's a spiritual awakening. We've been crushed and hammered and stepped on and and the Yiddishkeit is oozing out like fine olive oil. But when we remember that we're salad dressing, and we don't mix, and we rise to the top, and we have to live a certain lifestyle, then we don't need to be stepped on and crushed. That's how Rav Druk understands and sees the two as going as going together. A lot more to say about that, but back to the Parsha. It is, after all, a Parsha Shir. The second Rav Druk on this Pasuk. You know what? Actually, we'll move on. Yeah, let's move on. L'halos ner tamid. What's the purpose? L'halos ner tamid. What are we doing with this olive oil? To light the menorah. So the Svarim says it's in the Nome Alimelech, Revele Melech of the Zhinsk. It's in many others. The Rem is, kasis lamaor. What are the words? We're squeezing these olives to get the olive oil. And it's shemen zayas zach, kasis lamaor. Clear olive oil, crushed lamaor for the purpose of <coughs> illumination. Ki adam this is from the Amaras as the Rachma Shrifka is quoting from all the Chasidish Svarim. Ki adam tzarech lechasis v'leshaber asmo, This goes hand in hand with what we said before. Paradoxically, paradoxically, when do you shine the brightest? When do you shine the brightest? When you're the most arrogant, egotistical, self-promoting? No. When you're arrogant, egotistical, and self-promoting, then in fact there's a dark cloud that hangs over whatever you're doing. But when you're humble... And modest, and it's not about you, that's when it shines the brightest and that's what it means, kasis, crush the ego, lama'or. You want to shine bright, then sublimate, crush the ego in us. laha'eru laha'zriach or al-atsmo. When can our best self, our truest self, the sense of mission within ourself, the difference maker of ourselves, when it can manifest in this world, when we are kasis, when we crush the ego and the self-promotion, lama'or, then the greatest light will shine. And when it's all ego and arrogance, then there's a dark cloud hanging over whatever we're doing. The bear Moshe adds, and he says further, kasis lama'or, ve'lo kasis l'menachos. Rashi, Rashi on this Pesach says, why are we crushing this oil, lama'or, for its light? But not because we're mixing it with the mincha. Khabban menkha was made out of flour. Kiafim afam man tsar khadum la Shabra la shabr asmal yashaf ba'inav hin ya tacho sayus mikozat rak lamaor shay khazag asmal is alus bar gedol ba wudus a shamis borch ava lokas is kazash yigram la menakhos lipola azvos ul shaqif balighis va geshak la wudus a so khazal understand why are we crushing these olives to be using the oil for light not for menachos? Menachos, the word mincha, menachah, the word, it means a gift, it can mean rest, but it could also mean to fall into a place of sadness, of sadness, of despondency. So we don't sublimate or sub, we don't get rid of the ego in order to be down and out or depressed or not even realize that we have a healthy sense of self. We're not getting rid of a healthy sense of self. Person has to know their gifts, their talents, their skills, their blessings, what they can bring to the world. It's lama'or, kasis lama'or, crush the ego so you can shine bright, not kasis lamanachos, crush the ego so you sit in a corner doing nothing, contributing nothing, thinking you're a nothing. As we've said many times, it's not my original thought, that humility, the Torah definition of humility, is not thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less often. It's not thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less often. And that's why it's kasis l'ma'or and not kasis l'menachos. Moving right along, in of Ches, we now go on to the Big Day Kahuna. And the purpose of the Big Day Kahuna are the Big Day Big Day Kodesh The Kohanim had these uniforms, they were vestments of glory and of splendor. How did it achieve that? Listen to last year's Parshashir or previous years, we went into it in depth there. But if you look at Perichov Ches Pasake, promise we turn the page. Ah, there it is, the great sound of a page turning at the Parshashir, very infrequent heard. Page 466. They should take the gold, the turquoise, the purple, the scarlet wool, and the linen. And there's an anomaly, there's a very peculiar thing that is happening here. And what is the peculiar thing that's happening here? The peculiar thing that's happening here is for each separate item, we're going back and collecting the ingredients again and again and again, which is an incredibly inefficient way of building. We are doing a building campaign. We'll talk to you about that another time. We're doing a building campaign. So let's say, let's say, we've got a lot going on, Baruch Hashem. Could you imagine that we would only order the steel and the wood and the door for each room as we're making that room? Call Home Depot or wherever... I'm clearly not in charge of this, wherever one gets the materials for each room piecemeal as we go. That would be a horrifically inefficient and unnecessarily expensive way of doing it. Instead, we look at the total project, we see all the materials we're going to need, we order all of them, and we use them as we need them in the separate locations. So why didn't they run a campaign, here's all the materials that we're going to need. We've got a lot of vestments, a lot of, a lot of wardrobe going on over here. And here are all the materials and fabrics we're going to need and dyes and colors we're going to need. Bring it all, and then as we go, we'll use it up. Instead, for each one, separately and apart, they run a campaign. HaRamban perish. This is from the Megad Yosef, or Yosef Sureskin. The Ramban says, What is v'hem yechu? They should take, reminiscent of last week's parasha, which was Yikhuli Truma. Here we go again, using that word Yikach when it should be Yitain. So Rashi, the Rambam, they both weigh in. But he says, Megid Yosef. We already included the ingredients that would, we already included the measurements that would include the big day kauna. So why do I need a separate campaign? A separate cause match, a separate, a separate donation. Because it seems that the wardrobe of the Kohanim is for their independent personal use. Maybe they should pay for it with their own money. No, this too has to come from the collective. This too has to come from um why? So let's say the cynical, you know, there always were late Tzanei Hador, the great cynics at the time of the base of Mikdash. I can just picture it. They call him, come and they show up for duty and they're given their uniform, what they wear. And <coughs> it's paid for from the communal funds. And every community has its cynics. And I can picture the cynics of Klai Israel sort of say, why do we have to give so much money For the conum to have this custom-made, fancy, turquoise, what are we paying for their uniform? Let them pay. They're wearing it, keeping them warm, protecting them from the elements. They need it for their service. What do we have to pay for it? Let them pay for it. Can you picture it? Is it what some of you are even thinking? Can you picture yourself thinking it? So the Torah goes out of its way to say no. They're serving you. They're serving us. They're not making it about them. And sort of the reward, they're not making it about them, is it's not about them. It doesn't come out of their fund. You have to support and provide and enable them to play the role and to do the work that they do. Step up. That's your job and that's your mission. That's how the Megad Yosef or Yosef Zuretskin understands. The Altar of Kelm understands a little bit differently. The Altar of Kelm was bothered by the same question. We have also in our pasha, S we just read it with the big day kahuna. And we're going to see, when it comes to each and every article of clothing through the parsha. pay attention when you, when you um, do your Shleim Mekra, when you're listening to the parsha of the Shabbos. Each separate element of the wardrobe is introduced with a list of the ingredients that we need to collect for it. Terribly inefficient. Just collect all the materials, all the ingredients, and then use them up as we go. Zok, the altar of Kelm, says the altar that the Torah is teaching us that the materials needed to be collected with a specific and particular kavana that will be used for the big day kahuna. The intent that we have, the mindfulness that we bring, transforms whatever we're doing. And we don't just pile things together, even if it will be more efficient. Even if it will be more efficient. <speaking in Hebrew> Chazal have a principle that we don't bundle mitzvahs together. Ah, it'll be much more efficient to bundle them together. Enos and mitzvot, chavilos, chavilos. We don't bundle. Maximum efficiency may be what you're looking for in business because it helps the profit in the bottom line. Maximum efficiency is not what we look for in ruchnias. We look for maximum mindfulness, maximum presence, maximum consciousness, maximum kavana, maximum experience with each and everything that we're doing, even if it's at the cost of efficiency. Enos and mitzvot, chavilos, chavilos. I ah, will save money, we'll do two weddings, the same chuppah, we'll make a simcha with a simcha, we'll make the wedding on Yanta, and Cholamoid. No, Chazal say, Yes, that would be much more efficient. Yes, you'll save a lot of money. But it's not about efficiency and money. It's about being fully immersed and present in each and every experience and moment of life. What a powerful message of the Altar of Kelm. And therefore, even if we sacrifice efficiency, we keep referencing the materials because the kavana we're going to bring to the materials for each and every separate garment. My friend Rav Da brought this down in Tzmich Eschavr. We quoted it this week. And we find a similar idea in the Gemaraq Subaz Davkov Gimel. Reb says to ensure the Torah will not be forgotten from Kla'al Yisrael. So he says Reb is going to plant flax, wait for it to grow, and from it make traps that will hunt deer. He'll shecht them, and from their leather he'll make a Sefer Torah, teach each Sefer to one child and then have five of them teach each other Shisha, Sidrei, Mishnah, Shas, Mishnah to six children and that's how Torah will not be forgotten from Kla Yisrael. That's how we'll continue. And the Bali Musa, the Bali wonder, hey, Rebbe Chia, you belong in the base Medrash. What do you mean that you're going to plant flax and take care of it and harvest it and make traps and catch the animal and shecht them and make from them the hide, the parchment? That is terribly inefficient use of your time. You know what you should do? Go on Amazon.com and buy parchment. <laughs> go order cloth from, I don't know, sofer.net. Go, go online and order for some cloth, or go and even order svarim, finish the free Torah and teach them to the children. What are you going all the way back? Ah, Seder Bechia to make sure the Torah is not forgotten in a time and a danger and a threat of Torah being forgotten. No, 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 I'm going to go all the way back and I'm going to plant flax and I'm going to grow it. I'm going to nurture it. I'm going to harvest it. I'm going to... Why? Why? The so Balai explained. The answer is that Rebichia said, for that Torah to be pure, for that Torah to sustain and endure, for that Torah to transform those children, the kavanah, the intent, the mindfulness, to every step of the process. Ah, it's inefficient. Skip right to the end. Go online. Buy the Sefer. Teach the child. No, 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 no. That will be a totally different experience than if the kavanah were injected and implanted into the whole process. Every step from... The very beginning, from the very beginning. When you work, you have kavana that the money that you earn will go by the safer that you'll learn with your child. Think about the difference. Even, even that, there's nothing wrong with our avasubanam, beautiful program, learning programs we have at our shul, vishinantam, avasubanam, mother-daughter learning, and they end with raffles. And the child learns the safer at the raffle, and then the parent learns the child. That's one level of learning, and it's beautiful learning. But imagine the parent is working, says, you know what, I'm going to do one more shift, so that I can get a little bonus so that I can buy my child a set of mishnayis, so that we can sit and learn them together. And as they're, as they're sweating through that extra shift in whatever work that they're doing, staying on a few more hours when they wish they could go home, and now the kavana, as they're earning that extra money, is going into the svarim, they're going to order, they're going to sit, and they're going to learn with that child. Don't tell me that'll be the same experience as if you won the safer at a raffle. When the kavana goes in, the kavana goes in, we see this as well in Shabbos, you know, the Rav Pinchas of Karetz, says when it talks about Rivka went into the tent of Sarah, and, and Yitzchak knew she was the one when the dough when the challah turned out like his mother. What does that mean? The challah turned out like his mother. The fancy braid, it rose the right amount. She maintained the sourdough. Is that what's called sourdough? I've been hearing the Torah of a sourdough. What it takes a starter. You have to maintain the starter. The chachma, the wisdom, the love, the passion. Sometimes you wish you were as loved as the sourdough with the amount of mysterious nefesh that's going into that sourdough. So is that what it means? Sarah had a sourdough. Oh, Rivka kept the sourdough going. Oh, is that what it means? Says the Pinchas of Karetz, no. It means the kavana you bring into your challah impacts the challah. So if you're on the phone talking narashkite while you're making the, the challah, then the people who eat your challah have eaten narashkite. And if while you're making the challah, you're listening to the Parshishir, you're saying to Tehillim, you're making a phone call to somebody You could use a little love and a little uh, support. So all of a sudden your challah is this, it's not challah. Your challah is a chefza of chesed, of Tamatora, of Aves Yisrael. And anyone who eats that challah is getting that into their system. The kavanah we bring from the extra work we do to the money we earn, to the food that we make, to the carpool that we drive. It's not, oh, another day carpool and I'm fighting, I bring my kid. I'm giving them uh, this is the future of the Jewish people. I am driving this carpool. It's miserable, and I don't want to. and we're in Florida, where you don't have to de-ice or shovel out of the snow. I don't even want to complain, although there you don't have to do that because you have busing, but you have state income tax, whatever. It's still better to live down. Still better to live down here. But if the Kavana, while you're driving that carpool is, it's not as miserable in school, and I we shouldn't I have to. And where's my husband? and why does he have to give that shear and he can never drive? If the Kavana is, I'm talking about my neighbor. The Kavana is, if the Kavana is. I am creating Jewish continuity. I'm taking my children, this child, they're going to sit at the feet of his Rebbe. He's going to open a Sefer and learn Torah. He's going to be a Ben Torah for life and his children and children after him. And that's my kavana when I fill the car with gas. Filling the car with gas so I could drive it to carpool because that's how I get my child to go learn Torah. Wow. It's absolutely transformed everything that we do. Tzanzarov once left his house, escorted by his chassidim to go daven and shul, and halfway to shul he abruptly stopped, he turned around, he went back home, he went back into his house, and then he left and continued his journey to shul. When they got to shul, the chassidim couldn't take it. He said, Rebbe, what happened? You didn't forget anything, you didn't go get anything, you didn't do anything differently. Why did you go home to turn around and go again? And he said, because when I left my house the first time, I was thinking about something else. I was mindless, I was thinking about something else, and we just started walking, and we walked to shul, and I realized I have to go back to leave the house with the kavana that we're leaving now to go to shul. The whole walk is different if when I begin the walk, I know I'm walking because we're walking, we're going to shul. It's a whole totally different type of a walk. We're walking to shul right now. So says the Atar of Kelm, that's why these psukim are being repeated. They're being repeated. The Megad Yosef Yosef can said, why are they are being repeated? In order to tell us it doesn't come from the kavanim. They're wearing it, but you got to pay for it because they're representing and serving for you. That's the Megad Yosef, but the altar of Kelm says, you know why it repeats it over and over again? Because you need that kavana. Each and every separate and distinct garment needs its kavana. of Ches Aleph. Turn the page yet again. V'Avanim Yena, Now we're on the breastplate, Choshen, the Choshen of judgment, the Choshen of Mishpat. What did it have on Shavet. What was on the breastplate? The stones shall be according to the names of the sons of Kla Israel, twelve according to their names, engraved like a signet ring, each according to its name shall they be for the twelve tribes. Says of Salovechik. Let's bring in a Rev Salevachik. Says of Selevechek on this Pasak. Who are the twelve names? The 12 tribes. Yosef's children, Ephraim and Menashe, each took a portion in the division of the land. Why then is only Yosef's name written upon the Choshen? When it came to dividing the land, Yosef doesn't get a portion. Yosef's children, Ephraim and Menashe, Yaakov already said that Ephraim and Manasseh are elevated to the status of son, like Ruben and Shimon. So Yosef, as a shevet, as a son, doesn't get a portion of the land. Ephraim and Menashe do. So if that was good enough for when we divide the land, why isn't that allocation also the most accurate when it comes to the Choshen? Asks the Rav. Asks Rav Salavechik. Mm-hmm. According to Rashi, the appellation Choshen Mishpat indicates it comes to atone for mistakes in judgment. Gemara Menachos Each of the vestments that the Kohanim wore came to atone for mistakes, for things that we did. The Pamon Verimon, I hope we're going to get to it. The bell in the bottom of the Me'il that would ring and chirp for Lashon Hara, that we ring and that we, and that we chirp. Each of the different garments came to atone for different things, you know, the tzitz, for the thoughts that we shouldn't have had. So what was the Choshen? The Choshen was called the Choshen HaMishpah, to atone for the poor judgment, the poor judgment. Now poor judgment doesn't just mean that you were only supposed to have one of the corn chips from Trader Joe's and you ate the entire bag. That's one poor judgment. Poor judgment doesn't just mean that you walked out without joining the BRS Global Campaign, even though you benefit, you enjoy, you're elevated, and the money you spend on a movie and theater and dinner pale, you know, far outweighs a little something to show appreciation for the. That's also poor judgment. That's also what it's talking about, but it's not what it's talking about. What is it talking about, the mistakes in judgment? It means we we'll all judge and we judge others. Do we judge others favorably? Do we judge them negatively? Sitter snippets we just finished, the 11th brach of the Amidah, Hashiva Shavtei Melach ohev staka u Hashem wants us to have staka u mishpat. It's a mishpat, a judgment that is laced with staka. That we're, we give staka in the mishpat. You judge favorably. I mentioned last night in the sitter snippet, the example. you at the supermarket, someone you know comes in, they walk right by, they didn't say hello. So mishpat, strict justice would say, I'm done. I'm not saying hello to them. In fact, I'm going to try to find them so I can walk right by them and not say hello to them. Because mishpat, our friendship is over. They walked by me and they didn't say hello. Melech ohev, Hashem doesn't love that kind of a mishpat. He loves, melech ohev, staka uMishpat. What's staka? Be generous and gracious with your mishpat. And say to yourself, you know, I wonder if someone in their home has the flu or COVID or RSV virus and they're running into the supermarket to pick up medicine for them. Maybe they're the ones who are sick and picking up the medicine. They can't see or notice anybody, and it's not about me right now. Tztaka umishpat. It's a Mishpat I'm judging with Tztaka by using the Midah of Tztaka. I'm being generous and gracious in the Mishpat, in the judgment that I show. Melech ohev Tztaka Mishpat. That's a little bonus sitter snippet. If you enjoyed it, you could sign up for the sitter snippets, the six minutes every day. So that's the Mishpat, the Avanim, the Choshana Mishpat is coming. The Kohen is wearing the Choshen mishpat to atone for the poor Mishpat, the poor judgment, people judging without staka. The Kliyakar asks why the ephod and the Choshen were specified to be the products of a master weaver, Ma'asa Choshev. The term alludes to these sins for which thought is considered equivalent to deed. The ephod provides atonement for the worship of false gods, while the Choshen comes to atone for mistakes in judgment. Judgment is a product of the heart. In a broader sense, the Choshen atones for the tendencies and thoughts of the heart. Now there are people, says Rav Salavechek, with good values and fine attributes, but the moment they find themselves in a different environment, they change their conduct. In contrast, Yosef never forgot the days of his youth. Although he was rich and honored, his values did not vary and he continued to act with the fine attributes to which he was always accustomed. So Yosef was pure of heart and did not change his outlook, therefore had to have his name written on the Choshen. Yosef, whose judgment and his view never changed, no matter where he was, what status of life, so Yosef had to have his name, even though when it came to the the uh, conquering and division of the land, it was Ephraim and Manasseh. But here on the Choshen, it had to be it had to be Yosef himself. Pa'amon verimon. I wanted to get into the Keteras. We didn't get into it last year, and I made a note we should get into it this year. And now we won't get into it this year. So apparently that's our minag to not get into it, and maybe we'll get into it next year. But let's end with the Pa'amon verimon. Perachav Ches pasuk Gimel give bottom page 470. The robe, the me'il of the ephod was made out of tchelas, turquoise, by a oreg. Its head opening was folded over within it. Its opening shall have a border all around of weaver's work. In other words, there's a, what they call, what's that called, a hem? Not a hem. What's no, what's the edge? What do you make on the edge? A hem. A hem. You have a hem on the edge. And why do you have a hem? Safa, it's folded over inside and has a hem. Why do you have a hem? So it won't unravel. The Kliyaka or all the Mafarshim on these parishes, if you think they're not relevant to us, the magnificent symbolism and the messages. If the Me'il and the Aphod are atoning for, the Me'il is atoning for Lashon Hara, we'll see that now with the Pa'amon, Verimon. So Safa, it needs lips, it needs a hem. Your mouth, what you're going to speak, needs lips. Why do you need lips? No one to close them, no one to keep them shut. Know how to filter what you say. Not every thought you have to share. Not everything comes to your mind you have to say. So your tongue and your voice box and your mouth has lips. Why? So you can close them. And that's the Safa. Safa ye is It's not just a description of how this garment is made. Safa A Lips, a mouth there should be. Uh, lips to the mouth. It's a description of how to protect us from, from Lashon Hara. So, but adding on to it, going further. You shall make on its hem pomegranates of turquoise, purple, and scarlet wool on its hem all around, and gold bells between them all around. Gold bell on a pomegranate, a gold bell on a pomegranate, on the hem of the robe, all around the base. And I shared with you in previous years, you can Google it and find it online, in the excavations done in Ir David, the pilgrimage road Underneath it, which was the, where the water drained and they hid when they were hiding in the destruction of the second base of Mikdash, they hid under the pilgrimage road where the sewer was and you can walk that. It's not yet, I don't think, open to the public. It will be. It's magnificent. You, you'll be able to walk from Ir David all the way down to the valley. You'll be able to walk that pilgrimage road where the Ole Rega walked until you find yourself at the Kotel Tunnel Tours underneath the Kotel at Harabais. It's magnificent. And you can still you can still wipe your finger on the wall underneath and you will take off the black soot, the ash, from the burning of the Besamekdash. You can still touch the burning, burnt marks, the ash of the Besamekdash. What they're discovering is unbelievable. And what did they find there? One of these bells. One of the bells that was under the me'il of, of a coin. Absolutely extraordinary. Sezrav Rav Druk. Says Rav Druk. Rashi says, These bells were round and hollow, like the egg of a chicken. So some were hollow. They looked like a bell, but with no, what's that called? An anvil? A clapper? Okay. Ruined my streak there. But a clapper. Um, some of them had the clapper, some of them did not. All around, Rashi describes, The ones with the clapper rang out and made a sound. Did not, and they did not make a sound on their own. One of the Briska students said about him, He saw the Briska was silent. When the Briska was quiet, everyone could hear that silence. When he was thinking in a sheer... Before he began or after he finished or when he sat in solitude or quiet, it was a quiet that was incredibly loud. You could have a silence and a quiet that is incredibly loud. And now we understand, suggests Rav Druk, why the me'il had alternating the bell with the clapper and the bell without. If the purpose is to atone for the Lashon Hara, it means use the power of speech more positively. Say the right thing, not the wrong thing. Why, why the bell without the clapper? Because sometimes silence speaks louder than words. Sometimes being silent is the loudest thing that we can say. Revolba points out, I've shared this before. Revolba writes that when a child learns to speak, we're so excited. We teach them to speak. I have Baruch Hashem, Bli, I and her grandchildren of different ages, and my highly competitive streak makes me try to train each of them to say their first word to be "ze da." Zay, da. The consequence has been those who speak started out by saying, calling me duh instead of Zeda, because I say Zayda zayda I want them to speak. We get so excited. Ooh, their first word. Ooh, they said Zeda. They, they said Babi. Oh, it's incredible. They speak. And then we clap and then we encourage it. and Then we give a lollipop and then we say speak, speak, speak. We teach them to speak. Revoba writes, we teach and we celebrate when a child speaks. We never teach them to stop speaking. <laughs> we don't teach them that there's a time. Just sit quietly. You don't always have, to sometimes be seen but not heard. I'm going to give you a lollipop because you, you were at the table but you didn't feel the need to interject. So here's a lollipop. We don't, we teach and we celebrate and we applaud and we see the milestone in speaking but also in Shasika, in being quiet, in being quiet, there's a, a big milestone. So that was the Grizz. his silence, the Brisker silence. Ooh, it was incredibly, incredibly loud. And that's maybe, says Rav Druk, the alternating sound is the reminder to us that we atone for speech by making sure that we have the correct speech. And sometimes by having no speech at all, silence sometimes speaks much louder than anything that we have to say. So for next year, parashas Mitzvah mitzvahshem will all be in Yerushalayim. But somebody remind me to start with the end of the Parsha If you have in your talis bag a pittama written on a cloth, and you think that is some school for your parnasa. Is that a beautiful thing? Does it have a makar in halacha? Is it maybe even kineg in halacha? A violation of halacha? Where does that come from? And what is the ketoros, the mezbeachah ketoros? Why is the altar where the ketoros was offered in our pasha? Where did it belong? Truma. Last week were the vessels of the mishkan. This week are the garments of the koanim. So why is it in the end of our pasha? It's in the wrong place. How did it get here? Mitzvah Hashem, will start with that next week. If you'd like, yeah. next year, if you'd like... We've made it easy for you. Just take a credit card, and on your way out, you can actually tap it or swipe it. And again, this time, there's an incredible advantage: two two domestic airline tickets to Florida, two VIP tickets to Yishai Rebo here at BRS, and because you have a Karasatov for what you get out of it, BRSonline.org/global. It should be a great day for Klal Yisrael.